السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين محمد وأصحابه أجمعين أما بعد الحمد لله we have been discussing the later portion and the late stages of the Medina period of the life of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and we're about in 7th Hijri and in the about 19 to 20 year after the Prophet sallallahu has gotten his prophethood and there's few events that we've um, kind of talked about after the Prophet sallallahu he had his um, the, the conquest and uh, uh, the Battle of the Trenches, which was the Battle of the uh, Ahzab, followed by what happened uh, by the treaty. And later on, even the letters that we spoke about less yesterday, the letters that the Prophet ﷺ, he sent to all of the different, different kingdoms and different kings, the rulers, inviting them towards Islam. And that marked... A few things that marked the fact that now Islam was expanding and Islam was uh, getting an upper hand. And remember, uh, this was a period because of the Treaty of Hudaybiyah. This was a period where there was peace. And this was a period where there was no uh, skirmishes. There was no battles. There was no wars uh, between the Muslims and the Quraysh. And the Muslims were allowed to get into uh, alliance and be with those that they they wanted to be with. And not only that, the Muslims took this opportunity to reach out to all of the uh, surrounding kingdoms and invite them towards Islam. Now there's few more things that we kind of have to speak about in this year of Hijrah. Um, the main one being, like I mentioned before, there's many incidents, but the main one being the, the Battle of Khaybar and the events that took place in the Battle of Khaybar. This was about, if we remember, about a year and a half after the Battle of uh, the Battle of Uhud, the Prophet ﷺ exiled uh, one of the tribes of the Jews that was there, the Banu Nadir, and they went into exile. In some went into Khaybar, and some went into Sham in Syria. And then later on, from the north, Khaybar, the, the, the settlement of Khaybar became a place where they would start to incite uh, tribes and people against Muslims. So, in the, in the Battle of the Trench, in Khandaq, kind of going back, in the Battle of the Trench, um, it was the people of Khaybar, the leaders and the leaders of Nadir, that went and they uh, incited and told Quraysh to go against the Muslims. And that's when we saw this uh, huge uh, uh, army coming, trying to attack the Muslims from all of these sides, um, including the uh, Ghatfan and the different tribes of the on the east, and then the Quraysh and the surrounding uh, neighboring tribes. And now the Prophet ﷺ, although he has peace and he has this truce with the Quraysh, yet... On the north side, in Khaybar, there is no peace because there's still some incidents and there's still uprising continuing. 
And also on the uh, the eastern side where Ghatfan is, the tribe of Ghatfan, they also they don't have peace uh, in in that area because they're trying to also as we're gonna learn we're, they're also trying to uh, rise against the Muslims and attack Medina. So about a year and a half later, as as this uh, uh, you know events are co continuing, the delegations they're sent letters, and now the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam he turns his attention to the ones that have ignited this uh, uh, you know this battle and try to uh, take away the threat that is in the north. And they started preparing and they started preparing to march against uh, Khaybar. And now just kind of speaking on the, the way that Khaybar is, it's not like a city. It's more of a scattered settlement. And there's main settlements. There's about three main settlements. And uh, um, two of the settlements have, you know, uh, three main forts and one of them has two main forts and this is where um, the Banu Nadir were this is where a lot of the other Jews were and this was their fertile land oasis where you know uh, the dates and uh, the the fruits they're very popular and the Muslims know that this is the the fruits and then this is the the it's well known in the area that this is the vegetation of Khaybar so the Prophet Sallallahu as he's starting to uh, prepare his army and troops to march north, about a hundred miles uh, north of Medina, um, according to one source, they find out. Meaning the people of Khaybar, they find out. And I'll explain both of the sources just so we understand the entire seerah of the Prophet sallallahu in a more holistic uh, view. So they find out and they ally themselves and they go call their allies, the Ghatfan, on the east. And tell them that, you know, um, we need help. And they, you know, they, they tell them that if you help us and you send us reinforcements, we're going to send you uh, half of the crops of the year. Um, you know, the, the, the profits of half of the crops every single year. So they agree and they, you know, they say that, you know, we'll send about 4,000 people. They themselves had about uh, 10,000 individuals. That makes it about 14,000. And then according to another source that they didn't know, and the Prophet ﷺ, when he left Medina, as was the, uh, the, the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, when he would leave, he wouldn't indicate to anybody where he's going. And this was, a, this was a tactic in war that you don't let the enemy know exactly where you're going or when you're attacking. So he left and he left Medina. And then as soon as uh, uh, he's passing the path by Khaybar, he turns towards the settlement of Khaybar. And it mentions that, uh, you know, according to that first narration, the people of Ghatfan, they heard a voice in the middle when they set out to help uh, uh, Khaybar. They said, uh, heard a voice saying that, look out and watch your, for your own people. And they got scared that where is this voice coming from? And so they ran back to uh, their homes. And after that, they said, you know, it's not worth getting these spoils. And they didn't help uh, the people of Khaybar. So anyways, what, what the, the maqsad and the purpose is that the Prophet ﷺ marched against them and only the companions, only the companions that were part and took place in the Bay'atul Ridwan. And this was the allegiance that they took in Makkah by Hudaybiyah. Right? This is the one where they found out or they thought that Uthman ta'ala who was uh, killed. 
So they took an oath and allegiance with the Prophet ﷺ that they will fight and they will stay on the battlefield. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through those ayat, He said that only these individuals would be allowed to go to Khaybar and fight in Khaybar. So even though the Muslims had a lot of uh, people, they only set those people that took that bay'ah and that allegiance of Ridwan to Khaybar. So there's about 1400 Muslims now going towards uh, Khaybar and there's about, you know, you can say about 10,000 uh, individuals that are in Khaybar that are warriors, soldiers. So they go and they camp out uh, right outside of Khaybar and the Prophet wasallam he leads the Fajr prayer and as soon as he uh, the Fajr time comes in, he goes and he starts uh, going towards Khaybar. Now, the the reason why Khaybar was so kind of valuable to the Muslims, right? Not not because of uh, uh, any other reason, but because this was not a city, you know, in the sense that Medina or Mecca or any other cities were. They were not unified in one rule. So even though they had so many people uh, and they had a you know common common grounds such as their religion, they weren't uh, uh, united in their front. So even though they had so many people, they weren't able to defend and attack in the same way that the Muslims had uh, been able to carry out an attack. So the people, they're settled in three main settlements. And, you know, uh, each of these settlements, they have castles, they have forts. And, you know, pe- the people of Khaybar were rich which is how they were able to make castles and forts and all of these things in Arabia. And their fruits and their the vegetations and their uh, crops were well known that this was the, the produce of Khaybar. So the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he uh, camped out on the first, the first settlement. Um, and from the first settlement, he marched onto the first fort. The first settlement's first fort, which had about three forts. And we'll see the battle of Khaybar is not just one battle, right? This, this battle is actually, you can say, uh, you know, about six battles. Because what happened is, is as we'll discuss, the Prophet ﷺ and the Sahaba radiallahu ta'ala anhum, they marched on each one of those forts. And the last two forts, so I mentioned there's three forts on the first settlement, there's two forts in the second settlement that they, they, uh, they attack. And there's three forts in the last one. So that's about um, nine forts. But the last two, they surrender. So they only actually march onto um, seven forts. So the Prophet ﷺ, this is a great victory. And, and uh, we'll discuss the story where the Prophet ﷺ, on the first day, they camp out and they go to the first fort. And now on the first fort, they they see that these, these uh, people, they're all... Uh, went into their forts, they sent their women and children to another fort, and, you know, they're hilly areas, so it's very hard for them to launch an attack straight forward. So there's arrows that are being uh, um, shot, and for a few days, this is what the condition is, that there is going to be, there's arrows being exchanged on each side. And then, the Prophet ﷺ, in one hadith, he mentions that, tomorrow, I will give this banner and this standard to one who loves Allah and His Messenger. And not only that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and His Messenger also love Him. That not only does He love Allah and Rasul, Allah and Rasul also love Him. 
So everybody at that moment, you know, uh, Umar radiallahu ta'ala, the other companions, they thought that this was one position and this was one status that they wanted. And you can understand, you know, the way it is, is every single person wants to be beloved by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is also, you know, how we feel. That when we live life, we have, always have to realize that even though we're saying that we love Allah and we love deen and we love Islam, we have to see our status where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, does He feel the same about us? You know, it may be that this is only one-sided, that we don't know but we're committing some acts, some sins, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not approve of, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not pleased of, which in return uh, uh, gets the wrath of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the fact that the Sahaba radiallahu ta'ala anhum, they're, they're trying to, uh, you know, they're yearning for this kind of status that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa is saying that, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, uh, uh, who, who loves Allah and who loves the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa they actually want this. And this is something that they're desiring. So later, the next day, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa he calls out and he says, where, where is Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu? And... The people say that, you know, he has a, a pink eye a infection in the eye. And the Prophet ﷺ calls him. He puts some of his blessed spit in the eyes of Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And immediately he is cured from what he was feeling. And he gives him the banner and he says to call out, call them to Islam. And if they reject, then, you know, uh, uh, go ahead and fight. So... Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he goes forward and, you know, it's a lengthy hadith and a lengthy story. Uh, they start mocking him and they start seeing him. They send his, their bravest and their boldest soldier. And again, the duel started and Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he uh, uh, defeated him. And there's a poetry that he said, which is a famous poetry that... Uh, I am the one whose mother has named me Haidar. Haidar is a wild, washi uh, lion. With my lance, I, I will repay my full measure every ounce of insult. Meaning, with, uh, I will defend and I will fight with my uh, weapon. So this, is, this is was Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And then uh, that fort, that first fort, it fell. And the people, they went to the next fort. And... They ran to the next fort and the Muslims took over that first fort. And in that first fort, whatever the booty was, meaning the spoils of war, they took over and they took, uh, uh, you know, they mentioned there was, there was a lot of uh, food and there was a lot of grains and this and that. And this was what the Prophet wasallam in one of the dreams that he had, he saw that there was a lot of grains. So the first fort, fort fell and they went to the second one. And again, on the second one, they had a siege. And on the third day, that fort also uh, fell. They, the people ran to the next fort. And then finally, they go to the last fort of the first settlement. And in the last fort, you know, the same thing happened. They, were, they surrounded them. After a while, that also fell. And then they go to the second settlement, which had two forts. And one by one, all of those also fall. Now, the first settlement fell, the second settlement fell, and then, you know, two, three weeks later, uh, the, last, the last fort in the third settlement also fell, right? So this was a lengthy battle and a, and a very long period of time. On the last settlement, 
the people they realize that you know there's no way of winning and there's no way of uh, defeating the Muslims. And again, even though there were the Muslims were outnumbered again, there were about fourteen hundred versus about a thousand, uh, ten thousand. But the fact that they weren't unified, the people of Khaybar were not unified, was e- an easy win for the Muslims. You know, even though they went through all this uh, days of uh, fighting. So finally, they agree with the Prophet ﷺ to go into exile as long as they, they have safe uh, um, conduct. And they strike up a treaty with the Prophet ﷺ, which is uh, that nobody is going to be killed as long as they leave. And their properties and their land and their orchards and all of these things, they belong to the victors, which are the Muslims. And this was, this is not something that is surprising. You know, we may think that, you know, this is something really bad, but this is normal uh, warfare. That is when some uh, country takes over another country, this is what they do, right? This is not, we shouldn't think that uh, this is something that Muslims or uh, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa was imposing upon them. This was part of the way that war, and uh, even nowadays, this is how war is. Um, so the last one was, the last uh, point in the, their treaty and their uh, pact was, that whatever they can carry, they can carry, but they cannot hide something in their conveyances, in their uh, uh, rides, and take it out, or else they will be punished by either captivity or death. So now what happens is, the leader of Khaybar, um, Kidana, him and his brother, they try to hide some gold and silver and jewelry and they try to slip past the Muslims and they get caught. And when they get caught, the, the you know, punishment is either captivity or death. So the, the men get, uh, uh, um, you know, they get beheaded and the women and the children, they get into captivity. So from that, those individuals, those prisoners that were taken from the, the, that family, the wife of the Prophet ﷺ, eventually she becomes the wife of the Prophet ﷺ, Safiya bin Huyay. She was captured and she was taken. And then uh, 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 also another thing that happened is that the Muslims that were in Abyssinia, remember the uh, Prophet ﷺ sent them a letter and then a group went and that group was, uh, you know, they were met with some kind of uh, the boat sinking and then another group of Muslims, they left. And now these Muslims, they returned back to the, the Prophet Sallallahu and Ja'far bin Abi Talib, the cousin of the Prophet Sallallahu he came to Medina and then with the permission of the ones, the, the, the person that was in lead of Medina, he came to the Prophet Sallallahu to Khaybar. And the Prophet Sallallahu he says, that he's not sure if he's more happy with the fact that Jafar is here or is he's, he's more happy that Khaybar is now under their control. So this was something that was very uh, exciting for the Prophet ﷺ, something that he was very happy with. So as they're going back, now they, they have given the people of Khaybar this freedom that uh, you have these three options, they can leave. And you know they're not gonna be fighting anymore. They asked the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam that we know these lands better than anybody, and we know this, these lands better than any of the other uh, Muslims. So they asked the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam to allow them to stay on the land, 
and farm and till the land. And in return, what they'll do is they'll give uh, uh, half of the crops to the Prophet ﷺ and to Medina. So the Prophet ﷺ, he accepts this and he takes this and he puts in the one clause that if the Prophet ﷺ feels uh, necessary in the future, he will take the opportunity and he will take the decision of exiling them. So that, that uh, uh, choice and that ikhtiyar uh, um, is still to the Prophet ﷺ. And later on in the time of Umar ta'ala anhu, because of uh, certain actions, they were actually exiled again from, uh, from the, the land of Khaybar. And at this time, what happens is, uh, this is the time when now the Jews, they have no other way of fighting the Muslims. The warfare is not working. And there's neighboring tribes that also surrender to the Muslims. But because now they cannot fight the Muslims, now they're, the Muslims are dominant on the north, south, everywhere. They start going towards trying to poison and trying to harm the Prophet ﷺ in that manner. And this is the famous incident where one of the uh, uh, women, she makes a roasted lamb. And in the shoulder, as she knew that the Prophet ﷺ loved the shoulder of the lamb, she adds uh, poison. And as soon as the Prophet ﷺ, he takes this uh, lamb, you know, according to one, he gets inspired that this lamb is poison. And then according to another narration, the, la uh, the meat itself speaks and says that this is uh, masmoom, this is something that is poisoned. And so this is when the Prophet ﷺ, uh, uh, he gets poisoned, but then he lets the lady go, in in the sense that she says that you know if uh, if if you were a false prophet, I just wanted to uh, get rid of you if you were a false prophet, and if you're not a false prophet, then you would know that you know this meat has been poisoned. So the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam then as uh, uh, he's going back, there's two neighboring, you know, uh, Jewish tribes. Not, not, not more like a tribe, more of a settlement um, that the Prophet ﷺ had sent message to. Number one being Fadak and then Wadi Al-Qura. Um, when the Prophet ﷺ arrived at Khaybar, he sent a messenger to Fadak. And that messenger, he sent the same message that uh, all the delegations and all the messengers were sending. That, you know, uh, accept Islam and be part of the Muslims. And so they, they wanted to see what was going to happen and what was the result in Khaybar. Is the Prophet ﷺ going to defeat them? If he's not going to defeat them, what is the outcome that would happen? And when they saw that, you know, uh, the Jews in Khaybar, they asked the Prophet ﷺ, they were first banished, but then the Prophet ﷺ allowed them to stay on their land and work on their land and just give the prophets. They also asked the same thing. So the Prophet ﷺ also granted them the same conditions and the same terms. And then the other settlement, Wadi Al-Qura, they had uh, uh, you know, initially a fight, but they also came onto the same terms as the other uh, uh, settlements. And this is the time when you know, we see um, the jizya, the, you know, the jizya tax being implemented. And jizya was that even though, you know, even in Medina, the ones that were not Muslim or the ones that were uh, in conquered lands like Khaybar and Fadak and Wadi Al-Qura, 
they weren't Muslims, and because they weren't Muslims, they would pay a tax, which was called the jizya tax. And if you kind of uh, go into the origins of this, this was something that was uh, normally done in the sense where a weaker tribe and a weaker uh, clan would pay some royalties and pay, pay some tribute to a stronger and more armed uh, tribe to protect them. So they would give this you know, uh, tribute to them annually. And this was something that the Prophet ﷺ, it came into Islam and it was now the jizya tax. That when the people, they didn't accept uh, 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 Islam, they would give this tax as a way of protection. And the Prophet ﷺ, you know, eventually uh, these tribes, uh, he protects them from any threat, anybody that invades or anybody that attacks. And they earn the status of dhimbis and they are in the, you know, the citizens of that state. They have special rights. Nobody can harm them. And you know, this, the, the discussion is lengthy on that. But they have the status of a dhimmi and they have uh, rights that go along with it. Now, with the, the, the Battle of Khaybar, on the return of the Battle of Khaybar, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he, uh, uh, Safiya radiallahu ta'ala anha, who at this time was not the wife of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, she sees a dream. And in this dream, she sees that there is a very bright moon over Medina. And this bright moon goes over Khaybar and then eventually falls into her lap. And so she talks to the Prophet ﷺ and she tells the Prophet ﷺ about this dream. And the Prophet ﷺ gives her two, um, two, two options. Number one, that she is released and she can go back to her people. And if we can remember right now uh, what we spoke about, that Safiya radiallahu ta'ala anha, her father was the leader of Khaybar who had been killed because of uh, breaking the pact. And, uh, uh, I'm sorry, not her father, her husband was the one that uh, was the leader of Khaybar who broke the pact and was killed. And her father was the leader of Banu Nadir that was banished about a year and a half ago into Khaybar. So from, you know, uh, both sides, she has some kind of uh, uh, status that she's the wife or widow of a clan leader. And then not only that, she is uh, the daughter of uh, another clan leader. So the Prophet ﷺ gives her this option and she accepts Islam and she becomes the wife of the Prophet ﷺ. Now what's interesting is, is when she is now, she goes back to Medina, the, the dynamics between the wives kind of change. And the way that they uh, treat each of them is kind of different now. Now there's like, you know, two groups and two groups that form within the wives of the Prophet One is a group with Sauda radiallahu ta'ala and had the second wife of the Prophet Aisha, Hafsa and Safiya. And one of the reasons is uh, Aisha radiallahu ta'ala and Hafsa radiallahu ta'ala and, and Safiya radiallahu ta'ala and they were similar in age. So they, you know, you can say they hit it off. And they became uh, one group. And another group was Umm uh, Salama and Zainab radiallahu ta'ala anha, Juwairiya radiallahu ta'ala anha, and Umm Habiba. And they became uh, another group. And you know, this uh, uh, kind of um, rivalry started where they would kind of, uh, you know, give some difficulties to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa And this is important because there was ayat and revelation that was revealed that gave the Prophet ﷺ at one time he got so 
uh, uh, bothered by this that he stayed away from all of his wives. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala descended the ayat that uh, don't make something that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made permissible haram upon you. So this was, you know, kind of developing. And even at one time, the Prophet sallallahu he teases them. And he says that he will give an onyx uh, stone necklace to his most beloved. And so every, all, all the wives, they think that, you know, he's talking about them. And they're, uh, they want this, uh, you know, uh, necklace from the Prophet sallallahu but the next day, the Prophet ﷺ goes to his granddaughter, the daughter of Zainab ta'ala anha, and he gives her this necklace, showing that, you know, the love and affection that he had for his granddaughter. So this is the, this is the dynamics that's kind of working in the family of the Prophet ﷺ. At the same time, you know, when uh, the sister of Khadija ta'ala anha, uh, Hala, she visits her son, which is Abu al-As and his wife Zainab radiallahu ta'ala anha. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa hears about, uh, uh, hears her voice. It's mentioned that he, he would tremble because it resembled the voice of Khadija radiallahu ta'ala anha so much. And he would remember the way that Khadija radiallahu ta'ala anha was and you know the good qualities and he would mention them and he would speak a lot about her. Which was what, another way that the dynamics would work that Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha, she would get... Uh, you know, she would say in one, one hadith that it's as if there is no other woman that in the world except that you speak about her. So, you know, you see this uh, kind of interaction happening. So, after this happens, now the Muslims, they're in Medina. The last event uh, to mention for this year, in the year of uh, uh, the seventh year and the 19th year uh, in prophethood. In this year, now the north is under the Muslim control in the south, there is treaty with the Quraysh. In the west, where the Red Sea is, there is allied tribes, so there is also peace. The one area that does not have peace right now is about, uh, you know, south, uh, southeast of Medina. And this is the Banu Ghatfan. And the word comes now, they're rising and they're forming an army to attack Medina. So the Prophet he took 700 men, 700 uh, troops, and he went to face them. And this, this uh, expedition, it's called the Dhat al-Riqa. Dhat al-Riqa meaning the uh, um, rags, the one that had rags and uh, patches of cloth. And one of the reasons is that the Muslims and the Muslims had to tie their feet with rags to, in order for them to walk such long distance. And another reason is, that, uh, you know, the, the terrain and the journey was so long that they had to march all the way from Medina to Ghatfan. They had to march so much that it seemed as if it was a, a patch of rags after patch of rags. The journey seemed so long. So whatever it may be, they went uh, about 700 men to uh, defend and fight the Banu Ghatfan for their uh, forming their army and coming out. And once they heard that the Muslims are coming, they, instead of forming the army, they scattered and they didn't have uh, any army. And the Muslims, eventually they went away. And now there's also peace or a sort of uh, 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 dominance in also the east side of Medina. So one of the main lessons we kind of take is from the Khaybar events and the incidents that took place uh, in it is uh, number one, 
one of the most valuable things that we have and the Sahaba radiallahu ta'ala anhum had was their life. But time after time we see that what are they risking the most? What are the companions of the Prophet risking the most? And we see they're risking their life the most. Time after time they're, they're giving the option of fighting and being in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala more than anything else. And in one hadith, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa you know, it's, it, we may think that, you know, fighting and expedition and battles and swords and these things, you know, this is something awesome, this is amazing. But in one hadith, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa he returns back to Medina and he says that now from the uh, 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 fight and the jihad of fighting with our physical, now we come to a greater jihad, which is fighting with our inner self, with our uh, emotions are in our egos and controlling those egos for being in line and in accordance to what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants. So one of the valuable lessons you take is even though they risk their most valuable uh, uh, possession, which is their life, even more than that is a person living and uh, uh, waking up and going through the entire day in the obedience of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and doing what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants. Right? If we realize that this is the most important thing in life, that no matter what happens in the day, you will follow what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants. And no matter what happens in the day, you will stay away from haram actions. Then this is the greatest and the most blessed journey and jihad that a person can do. Right? Ourselves, our greatest enemy happens to be within ourselves. And without that, a person can be you know, loose and do whatever they want. They have no fear then. Right? But when a person has that control and that discipline, they put the, themselves in the line with according to what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants of them, then this is the greatest action a person can do. Right? Inshallah, uh, we'll continue tomorrow with what we're gonna, uh, what happens um, after the, the battle of Khaybar and a few more events that will end up in the seventh year of Hijri. And remember now in the eighth year, about uh, eight year of Hijri, the Prophet ﷺ is going to go for the conquest of Mecca. So now the next few events, there are those events that will lead up to the conquest of Mecca. Um, another reminder or uh, is that inshallah this Saturday at 6.30, um, ICF Masjid Zakaria has a fundraiser. Um, inshallah everybody is requested to partake in it. Uh, the month of Ramadan is the month where majority of the uh, operation expenses and all these different uh, uh, needs that the masjid has are covered. So inshallah, this Saturday at 6.30pm, there's going to be a fundraiser May 16th. Inshallah, everybody is uh, 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 you know, requested to partake in it. Subhana rabbika rabbil izzati amma yasifun.